Uh, my name is Dave Sherwood. I am the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. Welcome you to our festivities today. If you're a visitor, I'm going to kind of walk you through some announcements and a little bit about what the service is going to be like. Um, long and short of it is, uh, a couple of things that are going on uh, this week and kind of coming up. Announcement-wise is, first of all, we have the question of, are you new here? So you came through the glass doors, and there's a big pallet wall in front of you, and that's got all kinds of information about our church. It's got information about children's ministry and student ministry and connection groups, small groups, all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, On your way out of the service, if you're a visitor, you can kind of check out some of that area. Uh, I will tell you, we've got some people with some uh, badges. They're sort of our ambush ninjas. They're going to go, hey, what can I do to help? And so they're there to help. Uh, Don't be intimidated by them. That's their job. Uh, Another announcement is kids' ministry. So uh, we are kind of clipping along, growing as a church. We need some help in terms of kids' ministry. And so I'm asking you to think about and pray about doing that. Um, Obviously, if you've got kids that are part of kids' ministry, we're asking parents to kind of jump in there every now and then and support that. But also, if you're a grandparent, like I am, See, my grandson lives with me in my house, which is the dreamiest thing ever. But for some of you that are maybe grandparents, you're empty nesters, and your grandkid doesn't live with you, I've got this great thing for you. You can volunteer in kids' ministry on Sunday morning and kind of get your opportunity to do some loving on some kids. So we could use some volunteers. In all seriousness, just kind of pray about that, think about that, see if you maybe can be part of the volunteer rotation. Um, And then also, kind of as that pallet wall, there's connection groups. Connection groups is the next big step. So after you just come to the service for a while, and you go, hey, I want to get to know these people in this room a little bit. It's kind of hard on Sunday morning to really get to know people on a deeper level. We break down into some smaller groups. We meet in homes and other places. But you can find out some information about connect groups, and then you can visit a connect group. Our big reach project for the month is basically this. We're supporting the YWCA And so if you go, again, out to that pallet wall, you'll find a list there of supplies, and it's for this. Packing supplies for women and children entering a domestic violent shelter or a woman who's just starting out on her own. So there's basically a list out there of things that you can kind of pack up so that we can deliver these things to the YWCA so that we can help out people that are in a really rough part of life, a rough part of transition out of domestic violence and into something else. And so we're asking you to maybe grab one of those and think about packing with us. Sound good? All right. We are in a series called One Another. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray here in just a second, and then we're going to talk about this. We've talked about different things in the series. Today we're going to be talking about building, instructing, kind of teaching one another. What does it mean to come into one another's lives and kind of change that person a little bit? So if you're not a believer... Um, As I'm praying, just do what everybody else does. Just shut your eyes, bow your heads. We won't take your wallet. Just follow along as best you can. Enjoy the spiritual experience of prayer, and then we'll move forward. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us. Father, you know some people in this room don't know you at all. They're just kicking around the idea of you trying to find them and them trying to find you. Would you meet them right where they're at? Father, there's some people in this room that have been on an extended vacation from you in Vegas, and they're trying to come home to you, Father. And so would you meet them right where they're at? And for the rest of us, God, we're a mix. We um, are locked and loaded. We 
fall down. We are disasters. We kind of have our act together. But Father, we, we know we need you. And so would you meet us in the middle with these words of Scripture? And would you open up our hearts and our minds to encounter you? And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said. <coughs> so, uh, what I want to do, first of all, is I kind of want to catch you up a little bit. So we've got this series going on about one another, and we're talking about what does it mean to actually kind of be in each other's lives in not just a shallow, sort of obvious way, but in a little bit of a, a deeper way. And what I want you to do is I want you to think way back the idea of who Jesus is and what he accomplished. So Jesus, God incarnate, comes down in flesh, and he walks amongst us, and he's going to start this revolution. Now, if you were to be looking around nowadays and to go, how does a revolution take place? You would think that you do a couple of key things. One is you write a book, you start a podcast, and then maybe you do like a TED Talk and hope it goes viral on YouTube. Now, the reason that I mention all of that is that's not really what a revolution is made out of. That's not the sort of thing that can withstand the sort of opposition and persecution that the early church faced. Yet does have something a lot more deep and rooted. So what Jesus does is he doesn't invest in, I'm going to write a really cool book. He doesn't do a really awesome podcast. He doesn't have a viral YouTube video. He rolls up his sleeves and invests in people. And he transforms them. Who they were and then who they're becoming, massive transition. And he tells them why he's doing all this. He says, I'm going to exit. He's going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to be resurrected. He's going to exit. And he's already showed them how this revolution is going to take place. That all the things that he had invested in them... They were to turn and to go invest in others. The Great Commission, go make disciples, not go make church attenders or go make people that download videos, go make disciples. And the fantastic thing about all this is the 12 people that Jesus invested in were just schlubs, just schmucks, just average. In fact, as they're flipping the world upside down, as Jerusalem is going, what is this Christianity thing? What, what is this thing all about? They arrest a bunch of them, the disciples, and they bring them, and they haul them before the courts, and they go, what is this teaching that you're doing? And they kind of defend themselves, but then the thing that they notice is, and these aren't incredible people. These aren't super spiritual people. These are just blue-collar, ordinary average people who've had a transforming encounter with Jesus Christ. And they are, in turn, transforming the lives of other people and transforming each other's lives. And so when we say one another, it's important to understand that we're talking about what does it look like for Jesus to come into my life from all different directions. A lot of people are like, hey, I want to connect with God through prayer. I'm going to read his Bible and that's great, but then a lot of it after that is one another. What does it mean to love one another, to show compassion to one another, to build one another, to confront one another, to do all of the one another passages in Scripture? So what I want you to notice is in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, it says this. 
It says all scripture is inspired by God. It's God's very breath. And it's profitable. If you invest in it, it will invest in you and it will create certain things. But notice that it's profitable for teaching and for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Now before I go too far with that, What I want to do is I want to explain that you're probably used to seeing that verse, if you've ever seen this verse, one way before. It's one of those verses that you pass by and you go, oh, it says that God's word is like inspired, so it's like the real deal, and it's good for stuff. Okay, great, moving on. But let me illustrate. I want you to imagine that you're dragged off to the mall by some family members. Now, maybe you love going to the mall, but I'm just asking you to not be the person that loves going to the mall. You're me. with three women's in my house being dragged off to the mall. So there I am in the mall being dragged around, and I really don't like malls, and it's just not my thing. Um, And so I'm just walking around the mall, killing time while they're doing their shopping. And I I, I stick my hands in my pockets, but when I stick my hand in my pocket, I notice something, and I I pull it out, I got a $20 bill. That's great, right? I'm at the mall, I got a $20 bill, this is cool. Now, there's only one thing I'm going to do with a $20 bill at the mall. It's my $20, I'm going to go spend it on myself, I'm going to go to Starbucks, and I'm going to get like 30 shots of espresso so that I can handle this experience of being trapped at the mall all day. But what I want you to do is I want you to rewind a little bit. Let's go back, and you're at the mall, and again, you're just walking in the mall, and you put your hands in your pocket, and you pull out a $20 bill, but I want you to turn that $20 bill over to the other side, because I want you to see it differently. Maybe that $20 bill isn't for you. Maybe that $20 bill is to buy your spouse something. Maybe that $20 bill is to buy your daughter something. In my case, it means that that $20 bill is to buy my grandson something because that's my job, to impress him. (laughs) Now this verse, let's go back to it. Let's flip it over. All scripture, it's inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching other people, for correcting other people for reproofing other people, for training in righteousness other people. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is that when we read the word of God, it's not just for us. What does it mean to read the word of God knowing that what God wants to do is not only does he want to have it come into your life and transform your life, but he's investing it in you that you would distribute it. And then the trick question becomes something like this. How often is that happening? Think back over the whole of your life. Think about some people that really invested in you and said something or did something, trained you, mentored you, but it made a difference. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was one of your parents. Maybe it was somebody in kids' ministry or youth ministry. But there's somebody who stepped in and And in the middle of your anger or insecurity or fear or something else, they spoke something. They said something that built you up. Or they challenged your thoughts about something. Or they 
held you accountable to a higher standard because they saw greatness in you. They saw the diamond in the rough and where it could go. And if you think about those things, you go, you know, those are some amazing moments. But again, I want you to think about this a little bit deeper. What what would it be like if that didn't just happen sort of occasionally and accidentally? What if that happened intentionally and consistently? What would it be like in your life if somebody stepped in and they're all the time sort of trying to help you become a great wife, become a great mother, become a great father, become a great husband, become great at teaching, become great at your budget, become great at whatever it is. When Jesus wants us to all get together, is it just to sing and to hear some guy on a stage monologue? Or does he have in mind a revolution that's much deeper than that, much more customized and personal, where he wants us in each other's lives, speaking truth and hope and meaning? So it says that this thing about all scripture, it's inspired, that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. This idea that not somebody else, but that you are sent by God to equip other people to become who they're meant to be. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first stepped into Christianity, part of what I considered with Christianity is there are those people and then there's me. And what I mean by there's those people, there's people that have gone to church their whole life. Maybe they're an elder, maybe they're a deacon, there's somebody important, they have a title. And then there's me. I'm filler. I'm wallpaper. I, I, I take up space. There's those people, they do incredible things. Me, I guess I make them feel good by filling up the room. Now, my trick question is this. In your heart of hearts, do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that God has just got you as filler, or do you think that he designed you specifically for a whole bunch of different things, and that he's deployed you specifically, that all these people around you in your life God's got things, he's got missions for you to do in their lives that will change them forever. And what does it mean for us to think that way, expect that way, look and observe that way, to be intentional that way? And it's a very different way of doing things because there's no way to program it. You just got to learn to take initiative and have guts. To hear from God, to read God's word, and to go, this, this is something I'm supposed to do in this moment, in this person, and then step into it. And then some people, you need to step into their lives a whole bunch because of their woundedness or healing or something, and you have to be consistent about it. In Titus 2, 2, it says this. It says this, older men are to be temperate and dignified and sensible. They're to be sound, kind of solid, in faith in love, and in perseverance. Now you might go, well, you know, why is this in the book of Titus? Well, Titus and Timothy are young bucks, okay? They're young preachers. What's basically happened is, like I said, the Jesus thing happened, and then the disciples go, and then you've got this guy named Paul, and he's planting churches all around. And this transformational thing is happening. And so Timothy and Titus are young pastors, and they get sent to some of the churches that Paul had planted. And what do you do when you're young and you're asked to be a part of a worldwide revolution? You go, crap, I'm not good enough or smart enough or I, I, can't, I can't do all this. And so what you see happening in Timothy 
and in Titus is that Paul is writing to both of them and he, he says something like this. What you need to do, Timothy and Titus, is you need to install some leadership. And the leadership needs to be, we use titles like elders and deacons, and they have some characteristics. What are these characteristics? These are characteristics of self-discipline and maturity, like temperance and dignified and sensible and sound in faith, love, and perseverance. And there's more lists in there. Well, what's my point? My point is that some of these guys are supposed to be the high watermark. The way they carry themselves is kind of the gold standard. Are they perfect? No. If anybody here is perfect, go ahead and leave now because there's no point in me talking to you. But if you're imperfect like me, because half of these sermons are for me, then what we want to do is we want to focus on what does it look like to actually become mature? And why does it matter? It matters because people are looking up the food chain about what it means. What does it mean to be a dad? What does it mean to be a father? What does it mean to be a mom? What does it mean to be a wife? If you're somebody like me, my parents had pretty much split up when I was growing up. They lived in the same house. They played this weird game. They slept in separate bedrooms. It was a disaster. It was ashes. I was also the youngest in the family, so I didn't see anybody else being raised. So there I am. I'm 22 years old. I get married. Great. I get to be a husband, and I have no idea how to do this. A couple of years later, I'm going to be a father. Great. I have no idea how to do this. In fact, all I've ever seen is failure. Exactly. (laughs) And so what's got to happen? Well, all kidding aside, look, it's great to watch some YouTube video. I go on Life Hacker. It's great to go get a book. What I really needed was to see some other guys at the church that were good husbands and to spend time with them and learn how that works. To spend some time with some guys that were fathers. If you're a young woman, to spend some time with, and you're looking around that way. How can I get formed for the thing that God has called me to at the next level? And all kidding aside, I plow through books. I've learned something through the years. Books are great. Books don't transform you anywhere near as much as somebody else's life coming into your life. When I get done reading a chapter in a book and it says you should do this to be a great husband, great, I close the chapter. Nobody knows. I meet with some guy, we're talking about how to be a great husband, and he says, okay, I want to know the next six dates that you've planned, or I want to know what you're going to do about being angry and flying off at the mouth, and I want to know, and you know what, you're going to have to meet with me every couple of weeks, and you've got to belly up to the bar and talk to me about, now that gets real. And what you see with this Timothy and Titus is Paul's instructing them, you got to put all kinds of godly people, people that are mature, into play so that young men can look up the food chain and young women can look up the food chain and know what they aspire to. And guess what? Then you need to get them to mix. The sequence goes something like this. So I I, I show up at church, and that's cool. I, I mean, I walked in the doors of a church once. I show up in church... And this is cool. I'm learning some good stuff. I'm worshiping a little bit. I dig it. Then the next step is, whether it's a connect group or a ministry team, it's someplace where I actually get to know people's names, faces, and their stories a little bit. And then in that context, I step in a little bit deeper and 
maybe it's an older guy, and he's teaching me something that I don't know that I need help with. Or maybe it's a younger guy, and he's just dumb as a brick, because I've been dumb as a brick. Need somebody to invest in them. But that's where we're going with all this, this idea that we're making these transitions. Because the revolution of Jesus Christ and his invading people's lives and transforming things from the inside out, it doesn't happen just showing up Sunday morning. There's no way in the world. It's got to have some blood, sweat, tears, touch, confrontation, eye contact to go to the next level. So it moves on and it says in Titus 2, 6 through 8, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourselves to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Whatever the complete opposite of that verse is, is what I was at age 20. Dignified? No. Smart with speech? Not a chance. Hold my beer way too often. Just a terrible way of approaching life. I wasn't much of an example yet. I had never seen Christianity lived out. But what happens is I start meeting with the men in the church. Was there some program? All all kidding aside, we may have like a men's program someday or women's program. That's not the issue. The issue is you got to take initiative. If I know my car's broken, I get on the internet, I, get, I make a phone call, I go do what I need to do. Same thing with everybody here. If you need somebody older in your life, if you need somebody to disciple, you're looking around asking God, show me, and you're stepping out and you're taking a gutsy move forward. So these young men are urged. They're urged to what? They have to carry themselves in a certain sort of way. And guess who's supposed to sort of orchestrate making sure that these young men become what they're supposed to become? The older men. Which means that if you're an older man in this church, and you know, pick your age. I, you know, for me, old was anything over 25, and then it was anything over 35, then it was anything over 45. Now it's everything over 55. So whatever older is... But you're looking down and you're going, hey, who are my guys? Women, same thing. Who are my girls? Who do I need to invest in and help them on the journey of maturity and transformation? Because that's how Christ does this, is if, in, with, and through one another. It's how passing the torch happens. If you'll notice in Scripture, again, you've got Jesus in the 12, and then the 12, and you've got somebody like Paul investing in this whole great list of people, and the torch gets handed to the next generation. We call it apostolic succession. Long and short of it is it's relational. It's not just informational. Let me say that again. It's relational, not just informational. It's that the fire that is in you gets planted in other people. The maturity in you gets invested in other people. And it's a very different way of living life. We have a tendency to live life going, I want to watch what I want to watch on TV, and I want to read what I want to read in the Bible, and I want to go to a church that is the music that I like. And what if all that goes away and God says instead, I want you to change the world, and the way I want you to change the world is make disciples and invest in people's lives. It's not about you the more mature you become in Christ. 
the more I walk with Christ. It's not about the music that I like. It's not about the facilities that I like. It's not about all sorts of, because hopefully I've become more like Jesus, more selfless and more invested in others. Well, I've got an uh-oh verse that goes along with this. So in Titus 2, 3 through 4, it talks about the women's folk. Pray for me. <laughs> Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, but teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women too. And then there's a whole great big list. So let me give you a description of two different kinds of women. One is a woman who is reverent in her behavior. So all of her behavior is driven by reverence, by a connection to God, a respect for who God is and what God has for them as their mission. And this reverent woman, it's kind of the bookends of this verse, this reverent woman is also looking at other women, particularly younger women, that she can invest in and teach them reverence and godliness. And there's a whole list of other verses after this, teaching them how to be a good wife and a good mom and dot, dot, dot. But there's another woman right in the middle of this verse. She's a malicious gossip enslaved to too much wine. So what she's doing as an older woman is her kids are out of the house. She comes home from work. She gets on Facebook. She cracks open the vodka and starts spewing how much she hates different people and her boss and text messaging and everything else. Now, what's my point in the dichotomy that we've got going on here? The dichotomy is really all of us. I mean, we can be the person who steps into other people's lives, rolls up our sleeve, loves, confronts, invests, puts scripture, or we can be the person that says, it's my life, nobody's invested in me, I'm not going to invest in everybody, I'm older, I've hit a glass ceiling, my relationships haven't turned out the way I wanted, I don't have enough money in my 401k, my boss is an idiot, and I just hate everything and everybody, and I can't wait to be infectious and draw everybody else into my little pool of poison. I don't know if you know anybody like that, I've met more than a few, <laughs> male and female. And the question is, which one are you going to be? It starts now, whatever age you are. When I was almost 30 years of age, I had some guys in the church come to me and say, hey, would you disciple me? And I went, what? And what ran through my mind is probably the same thing that runs through your mind. Nobody's discipled me. I don't know how to do that. What? That's stupid. I'm an idiot. I haven't been raised in a Christian home. This is a dumb, this is a terrible idea. They're like, will you do it? I said, I, I'll fake it till I make it. And that's what we all do. Nobody gets perfectly discipled. Nobody has their act together. If you're a visitor in this church, don't think that these people have halos. They've got, you know, construction stuff all around them as God is rebuilding them me being the chief of which he's rebuilding. But part of how he does that rebuilding is through one another. I'm going to have you watch a video clip here in a second. So when we talked about these women, in the video clip that you see, you're going to see a young lady. And this young lady has all the potential in the world. In fact, in the video clip, if you watch the whole movie, you'll find out her destiny is very dynamic. 
And she wants somebody to invest in her, to train her so that she can face her destiny. But she's caught between two different perspectives. Her mom's perspective is, I don't want anybody investing in her training. I just want to keep her safe in a little bubble, hide her away, and act like she's not going to have to face the future. It's just denial. But then there's this other woman, her aunt, who looks at her and says, I see the fire in your eyes. I see your desire to be a warrior. I see the future that you're going to have to face, and I'm going to invest in you so that you can become what you should become. Now, the reason why I want you to watch this film clip is I want you to get a, get, get a little emotion, get a little feel for it. There are young men in this room who need older men to step in. There are older men in this room that need to step in. There are women in this room, young and old, that need to step into each other's lives because it is critical. Peter, without Jesus' investment, is just a lazy fisherman who never does anything. Timothy and Titus, vague converts. It's Paul that is the transformational thing that Jesus uses to unleash them to the next level. And you see it over and over in Scripture. So watch this clip and just get a little bit of a feel for what this is like. You keep doubting yourself, Diana. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. You are stronger than you believe. You have greater powers than you know. But if you don't, try harder. Diana! Are you hurt? No, Mother, I'm fine. I was just... Training. It seems I'm not the revered queen I should be. Disobeyed? Betrayed by my own sister? No, Mother, it was me. I asked her to... Take her to the palace. Off you go. You left me no choice, Hippolyta. You neglect your duty if she cannot fight. You speak of a time that may never come. He might never return. He could have died from his wounds. Ares is alive. You feel it as I do in your bones. It is only a matter of time before he returns. The stronger she gets, the sooner he'll find her. Hippolyta. I love her as you do. But this is the only way to truly protect her. You will train her harder than any Amazon before her. Five times harder. Ten times harder. Until she is better than even you. I wanted you to see that is just the idea of what does it what does it feel like? 
What does it feel like to have somebody look you in the eye and say, I believe there is greatness in you. And I'm not willing to let it be sabotaged by your own laziness or your own lack of belief in yourself. I'm going to step in and I'm going to train you. I'm going to build you. I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to speak scripture to you. I'm going to do all the things that Christ has told me to do into your life so that you will rise. What does it feel like to have somebody believe in you and invest in you? The flip side is, what does it feel like to go, man, I don't have my act together and I, I, I'm not perfect as a mentor, but I feel like God wants me to courageously step into somebody's lives, life and build them up, even though I, I don't have my act all together. And when this brokenness from both sides of the equation comes together and it gets fused together, this beautiful thing happens. This young man wants to be not an okay dad, a great dad. This young man wants to be a great dad father. Because who, you know, you all made New Year's resolutions, you know, January 1st. You know, somebody wake up and go, my New Year's resolution is to be a mediocre wife. (laughs) To be an average mom. No. We want to be great. But so many of the things that are greatness, we will not achieve on our own. We're a team that comes around each other and invests in each other and each of us lifting each other up. And that's how we mature and grow. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness for bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So you've got this idea of self-discipline for your body. And he says, you know, that's okay. Learning to be a warrior, that's okay. But really, your discipline needs to be about godliness. And your godliness isn't going to happen. We've already talked about why are there elders? Why are there deacons? Why is there one another? It's because all of us invest in one another in order to get to godliness. And godliness matters. It echoes in eternity and it changes things here and now. The fact of the matter is, when I was in my mid-twenties and I was trying to figure out how to be a decent husband, there were men I looked at in the church because I heard stories and I was a, a part of the small group or whatever, and I saw them and I wanted to hear what they would have to say. And there were men in the church that I didn't want to hear what they said because there was nothing there. Each of us has a choice which man we're going to be, which woman we're going to be. But it matters not just for you, not just for your family, but for all of us. In 1 Timothy 4, 15 through 16, it says this, Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to everybody. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teachings that go out and affect other people and persevere in these things. For as you do this, you ensure salvation both for yourself and for those that hear you. Basically, he's putting into play, look, lock down on this. Persevere. Be tenacious. Grab a hold of this with all you have. Why? Because it doesn't just affect you. It affects others. So your perseverance isn't just about you. It's about your story's effect on everyone else. There's always two ways to take that. You know, one is I'm, I'm, I'm 
angry at the responsibility that my example in my life affects other people. The other is to go, God thinks he can change other people's lives through somebody like me? I've never had anybody believe in me like that. That's the sort of eyes that Peter looked up at with Jesus when he said, look, you got the wrong man. Jeremiah said, you got the wrong man. Samuel said, you got the wrong man. The Bible is full of people that say, you got the wrong person. And God keeps looking down saying, no, 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 I have the exact right person. You have no idea what your potential is. And more than that, you have no idea what your potential is in the lives of your brothers and sisters. Persevere. Invest in one another. Build one another. And we'll make it real hard to get to hell from Perry County. Right? All right, let me pray. Father God, you sent your son, Father, to rescue us. And Father, he's come into our lives. Not everybody here, but he's come into a lot of lives. And Father, you want us to turn and you want us to be like Jesus and you want us to sacrifice and to build into other people's lives and transform them. And Father God, we're scared, we feel overwhelmed, it's too big, and yet at the same point in time, you trust us with this, which means that you must believe in us. We don't believe in ourselves, God. May your belief in us be bigger than our fears and our failures. We ask, Father, that you would help us step up to the plate. Older men and older women, would you help them in this church step up to the plate? Younger men, younger women, would you help them step up to the plate? Help us to be involved in each other's lives in wonderful, messy ways that transform each other and transform the world. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ who showed us all these things and started this revolution. And all God's people said...